Welcome to the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Jess Mayhew. I cover nightlife and spirits for Baltimore Magazine, and this podcast is an extension of that coverage. We talk about bars, drinks, and the people that bring them to you. I'm really excited because I took a little mini road trip out of Baltimore today um, and visited one of my favorite breweries in the state, Flying Dog. And I also recently learned that Flying Dog is turning 25 years old, which I know a lot of people might be kind of surprised to learn. Um, So I am here with CEO Jim Crusoe. Yes. And um, the director of PR. Aaron Weston. Mm-hmm. And thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time and, and all of that. Um, and so I just thought we could start out a little bit and each of you could sort of talk to me about kind of your history with craft beer and, and how you got involved in this this wonderful, crazy world that you're now mm-hmm. that you're now in. Jim, you can start out. Sure. Well, my um, relationship with beer began when I was five years old. My <laughs> mother's parents came from Russia. My father's parents came from Italy. My father's parents gave me wine, which was okay, but my Russian grandparents gave me little glasses of beer, those little juice glasses. And I remember sitting at the dining room table, loving beer. I didn't know at the time it was the hops that I loved because we grew up on sauerkraut and smoked herring and all that stuff, so the hops were perfect. And then with craft beer, I spent a fair amount of time in Europe, and then back in the 80s, I discovered Sierra Nevada, pale ale. Into Flying Dog. So in uh, 19, so really, um, this is the coming of age, the adulthood of Flying Dog in Maryland. We had our youth in uh, Aspen, Colorado as a brew pub. Our adolescents in Denver, uh, where we were a significant brewery in a state with many breweries, and then out here, which we've reinvented ourselves again, and the Flying Dog that exists out here is really Flying Dog as an adult, a <laughs> true legacy brand in the craft beer industry. It's of legal age now. It's of legal age. And we can run a yes. car. <laughs> we can run a car. We can drink. Uh, yes. So it's it's been it's been really really fun. That's awesome. And Aaron, what about you? How did you find yourself in this world? In um, craft beer, especially, um, I as a college student, I went to um, school in Delaware, and my first kind of exposure to craft beer was um, Dogfish Head, and um, it was I was one of those rare college kids that you know didn't want to go to the keg parties and you know just kind of drink a ton of shitty light beer. So you know we would kind of like save our money and splurge on. Um, spirits, wine, and, you know, craft beer, and kind of have our own little tasting parties, and it kind of, um, I I love food, I consider myself an equal opportunity drinker, you know, with my love for spirits and wine, and, you know, it's, um, the biggest MO for me is uh, stopping and thinking about what you're eating and what you're drinking, and kind of having it be an experience, um, and not just, you know, I had a bad day at work, I'm going to slam some beers, and then just go turn on the TV. You know, it's every instance, and I've always believed this, uh, with whether it's food or a beverage, you know, it's an experience. So that's kind of, it's always been a passion for me. And I just, um, I'm originally from this area and and found myself back. And there was an opening at Flying Dog over six years ago now that, um, you know, it was just kind of serendipitous timing. And I remember sitting, um, you know, in the little apartment in downtown Frederick, um, where I was living at the time. And I saw the job opening, so I opened a beer, and I was like, I'm going to do everything in my, like, realm of possibility <laughs> to yeah. get this goddamn job. Yeah. And I did, and did. that's where we are here. And it's it's amazing to, um, 
to have been a part of so much of Flying Dog's growth from, um, you know, when I started at the end of 2009 to kind of where we are now. I, I think Jim put it perfectly in kind of our stages of development, you know, as a company and just kind of seeing even in the past six years, kind of where we've gone has been incredible. That's true. Miriam's being modest. She was a founding member of Flying, <laughs> of Flying Dog as you know it today yeah. in 2009. The marketing department was really me, CEO, and Aaron. And then we had a graphics person. Mm -hmm. uh, so everything you see here today, this blossoming of all the creativity and the fun stuff and everything, it has Aaron's fingerprints all over it. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. And also, you went to beer school in your own right. It's not like you're just, didn't you get a I, cer um, certificate? Or? Yeah. So I, um, gosh, in 2010 or 2011, I um, should probably know that off the top of my head, um, <laughs> I went to uh, Siebel, which is a marine in Chicago, um, and did a course on pairing beer with food. So, so it's not like you're just, you know, writing press releases. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, you've got a little more. Yeah, the entire um, kind of sensory experience and kind of pairing aspect has always been kind of a, a pet project role that I've had here along with um, all of my other kind of communications, marketing, creative um, stuff. So it's, um, yeah, I work with um, chefs, you know, when we have them in here to prepare for beer dinners. Um, we work with um, our head brewer and our brewmaster um, on any new beer release that we have for kind of the, the sensory kind of evaluation and analysis of the beer itself, but then also kind of how it can be evolved into a cocktail, a food pairing, all that good stuff. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jimmy, if you yes. could tell a little bit about the history of Flying Dog, because I think there's so much cool backstory there, um, obviously still evidenced by, you know, your graphics and your and your illustrations. Um, and I think people might be surprised to know a little bit about how it started. And Sure. Uh, unlike some breweries that have documented everything, we never expected to be here 25 years later. Right. So this is lar largely shrouded in mystery <laughs> and, and passed <laughs> down in the oral tradition generation to generation. Over a few uh, beers. So over a few a little, beers. Yeah. <laughs> but being the spokesperson for Flying Dog, uh, Flying Dog uh, was started in 1990 in Aspen, Colorado. 400 Cooper Avenue. The building's still there. I hear it's about to be raised, though. It's kind of a decrepit old building. Wow. And George Stranahan, who is a true Renaissance man, he has a PhD in physics. He founded three schools that are still in existence today. Wow. He's a writer, professional photographer, a rancher, um, an artist. Uh, he had Flying Dog Music Studios, and he wanted a place in Aspen, Colorado that was affordable, a great burger that didn't cost $50, and some fresh beer. So he created the Flying Dog Brew Pub in 1990. And um, in 1994, we decided to um, do a brewery in Denver, Colorado. So a brew pub, you know, you serve pints of beer, you can serve some growlers, but this was an actual manufacturing facility. It was the old Silver State Laundry. Colorado is called the Silver State. A lot of people went out there to find their fortune. And when you went west, and before you got into the mountains of Colorado, you would stop in Denver. And then they'd get all their provisions and supplies and go off to make their fortune. Well, the Silver State Laundry was uh, a building. It's a beautiful old building. And its claim to fame was it was the only laundry in Colorado in the late 1800s that could pro uh, properly clean the dresses of the ladies who worked Larimer and Lawrence Streets. Hmm. So we thought, that is cool. Wow. We want the building. <laughs> and we had rights to the Rocky Mount Aquifer. So it was kind of a decrepit building. The floors were kind of rotted through, and there were, what I learned later, were brown recluse spiders in the dirt basement and all that sort of stuff. We used to spray 
spray paint the floor with orange paint, don't step here. Uh, cobbled <laughs> together a lot of old dairy tanks uh, for fermenters. There weren't any mentors in those days, so you had to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, and just getting quality beer to market was an accomplishment with the bottle stop exploding. So we had to learn along with everybody else. When we started out, there were less than 100 breweries in America. Today, there's over 5,000. So I like to say we've always been in the top 50 because when we started, there were only like 50 breweries. <laughs> but we haven't lost a lot of ground over the years. Right, right. So we stayed steady, we stayed steady uh, as the rest of the industry grew. So it was, it was a tremendously uh, good learning experience. Uh, we s distributed our own beer for a while. We had these big trucks. It was across from a kind of a, Oh, it's a homeless shelter, I guess. So as fast as we would load the truck, sometimes guys would come out and steal the beer. Uh, and then we'd go down the street. I guess we originally started selling out of the trunk of the car. But it was, it was a great learning experience. And in 2000, we moved to a bigger facility, literally across the street. We could have put a conveyor there and like moved everything down. There. But it was a real, easier. it would have yeah, been right? easier. It was a real brewery. We were excited. Uh, and at that time, we were... I think when we left, we were the second largest brewery in Colorado. There were 150 breweries in Colorado. So we were relevant. Uh, and we had been expanding quite, quite aggressively you know, over the course of the late 1990s, early 2000s, and we needed a bigger brewery. Mm -hmm. And that's when we decided that our growth had been East Coast. We been, began shipping to Europe. Uh, I'm an East Coast person. I like the East Coast. And we came across this beautiful facility. We bought it in 2006. And that's when we made that transition from, I would say, adolescence to adulthood and maturity um, and kind of coming of age when we came out here and decided to be the first craft brewery ever to go from what I would call this inadvertent international strategy. We were selling beer to 48 states and 23 countries in 2005, hmm. uh, which was kind of crazy. We were, yeah. what they say, a mile wide and an inch deep. And we loved Maryland, so we decided to be the first brewery. A lot of us, a lot of breweries since have followed us right. uh, to go from this crazy international strategy and go to be an inch wide and a mile deep mm. and really be the relevant, uh, trusted, valued uh, regional brewer, partner with many you know local uh, industries and so forth. And that's been accomplished with Aaron, the marketing department, the sales department, the great beers we have, the programs over the last eight years. Interestingly enough, uh, we, two years ago, uh, began selling more beer. Actually, Maryland consumers began drinking more beer. <laughs> I love Maryland beer consumers. <laughs> then we were shipping to 48 states and 23 countries five years ago. Wow. The state of Maryland consumed That's more beer than, than, than was going to 48 states and 23 countries. I'm impressed countries. with us Marylanders being able to... To do that. <laughs> I'm impressed and I love Marylanders. I want to I hug every person out there. Is there something, obviously besides the geographic location like you were talking about, but I think a lot of people might say, oh, Colorado to Maryland, that's kind of a random move. I mean, especially Colorado is kind of synonymous with craft beer these days, but is there, is there something else besides Maryland that you think um, kind of cultivates this sort of craft beer culture um, and, and a reason that it was maybe attractive for you guys to move here in the first mm -hmm. place? Well, at one level, we like to go like the salmon, like against the current. Mm -hmm. So while everybody says go west, young man, we went back east because <laughs> we like it. Yeah. But no, the East Coast is is just phenomenal. I mean, it's as beautiful as Colorado and the West is, and it's it's fantastic. There's a certain diversity and density and mm -hmm. urban you know throb to the East Coast that is just so with the flying dog spirit. And you know, Colorado is still our metaphysical center, but it's. Uh, it's fertile ground, it's densely populated, it's, uh, it was like the perfect fit for us. 
That's great. Mm -hmm. And it has a really fascinating identity as you kind of go up and down the East Coast. And I think that one of the cool things in joining Flying Dog, um, you know, fairly soon after kind of the the big shift here was that um, Maryland and then um, specifically Frederick uh, really embraced us and everything Mm -hmm. that we were doing here. And, you know, it's kind of a cool, you know, even though we had there were, you know, some people in Colorado like, hey, you know, where'd you guys go? Like. Mar- the, the whole Maryland pride factor, you know, like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. born and bred Marylander and like we have the best state, we have the best state flag of any 50 states, really you know, like do. we just have like, you know, we have mountains, we have oceans, we have like the sense of pride that Marylanders have um, is, is really cool and was a dynamic that I think really embraced um, Flying Dog as we kind of transitioned here. I think you see the Maryland flag about as much as you see the flying dog bat just mm-hmm. walking around, <laughs> like downtown Baltimore, just walking mm-hmm. around the bars. I mean, they're they're just these icons and these symbols, and they're all, they're all over the place. Yeah, I mean, to add to that, I, I say it's impressive. I mean, Colorado was a cool state for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's the outdoors and everything. But you come to Maryland, and there is a deep-seated pride. I mean, this is one of the original colonies. I mean, right. as cool as Colorado is, it wasn't a state until like 1890 or something. Yeah. You know? So, but it's it's cool. Uh, and then coming out here, there was a good beer tradition. We had barley and hops. We had Brewers Alley. I mean, there was some craft beer here, uh, but it was a, it was good timing and a good fit. Uh, most of the what you see happening, not just with beer, but a lot of trends start on the West Coast. It's kind of trendy. There's some fads, and then it moves east. Right. The thing about it is, it takes a little bit longer to catch on in the east, but when it does, it catches on fast. Yeah. And it's more deep rooted. It's not quite so you know. Well, what's the next best thing? You know, mm-hmm. it, what what took us years in in the west to get like firkins and these rare beer styles you know within two years so they're saying what else you got for us you know <laughs> like, like okay next thing. something more extreme yeah, you know yeah. pale ale that was mm-hmm. you know this, let's push the envelope a little bit so it's a great fit for the kind of brewery that we are that really wants to be more cutting edge and always poking that box to see what's interesting to out get there outside of it a little bit mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and in the in light of that since you guys have been here i craft beer scene in in Baltimore and in Maryland in general has just exploded and it must be interesting for you guys who've always been sort of toward that top just to watch all these other microbreweries coming out and Mm -hmm. and I just wonder how you guys have you know from a strategic standpoint tried to stay relative but also true to flying dogs kind of weird unorthodox Mm -hmm. spirit (laughs) um but still you know business competitive and and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. the the interesting um, part of craft beer that um, continues to kind of blow blow my mind is that no matter how many breweries um, are coming online, um, we're still kind of all in it together. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but there there is a sense of kind of brethren, you know, that, you know, it's still, I think the latest figure is like we're up to like 16%, mm-hmm. you know, of the overall beer market. I mean, that's, t- that's all craft beer combined, you know, <laughs> so... We, you know, we are Maryland's largest brewery, um, you know, but we, and we do kind of see ourselves as kind of an, an incubator, you know, helping out, you know, some of the smaller breweries around here. We've had people who got their start here at Flying Dog and have gone on to start their own projects, um, whether it's here in Maryland or down in Virginia, D.C. So, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, we definitely see ourselves um, as a leader um, of craft beer in Maryland and, and definitely willing to support, you know, those who are coming online, um, you know, for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, in, in the mid-90s, there was nobody to turn to for assistance. You just had to figure it out. You know, there were the big breweries and a handful of craft breweries. So uh, remembering that experience, it's very clear in our, our mind here. We want to be uh, helpful to 
other breweries. Right. And we benefit from that because the bigger we make the pie for craft beer, we don't really care how big our slice is, the more people we turn out to great craft beer, the better. The better. Mm-hmm. And there are a few too many people getting in the business right now because it looks like the next get-rich-quick scheme, especially mm-hmm. with some of these breweries selling out for these crazy amounts. Well, they're not going to last. The, the tolerance for questionable beer, or in fact, beer with off flavors, is very, very low. Very low. So yeah. uh, between Flying Dog University, our commitment to train and teach our wholesaler partners and mm-hmm. do everything we can to help educate retailers and consumers, it benefits the industry. And we're very, very glad to be you know, part of that and to be here and to be successful. As I said, there was some question as to whether or not we'd even be here yeah, in 2000. Yeah, you remember your roots with the spiders uh, in the basement? With the spiders. <laughs> no, recluse, what's that? I'm a city boy, you know? This is downtown Denver. You know, what are you talking so about? So you don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. And it must be kind of an advantage. Um, I know you guys work hard at maintaining it, but you have this very signature kind of brand and look and feel um, with the Ralph Steadman illustrations and mm-hmm. sort of your kind of funky names and um, I mean how do you guys if you can kind of explain that connection originally and then also talk mm-hmm. a little bit about maintaining that sort of feel just from a brand perspective too. Mm-hmm. Well, there's really two aspects of that. One is I think there's a bit of a misperception about flying dogs sometimes that like we're anti-establishment mm-hmm. or anti-authority. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. You know we are very much into you know, a lot of what makes life great. Uh, what we are, though, is fiercely independent, and we're about not being boring. We like interesting mm-hmm. stuff. So everything interesting is at the edge, and that edge is different for everybody. So when we, when we initially brewed beer, we viewed it as liquid art. I mean, you know, we handcrafted this, you know, a lot of, you know, tender, loving care went into the recipes, and we wanted to be the first to have real art on the label. And back in the 1990s, you, you had a picture of this, that craft beer looked like this water bottle. You know, block printing, it said IPA, craft beer, and it was okay. I mean, it was, you know, graphics, but we wanted something a lot more edgy and interesting. We were very fortunate uh, that Hunter was a longtime friend of George Stranahan and in Woody Creek, Colorado, introduced us to Ralph, who had been doing original art for his writing since 1970. Right. And Ralph gave us the Doggy Style Pale Ale and the Road Dog Scottish Porter, uh, Scottish Ale, Scottish Ale, uh, back in 1995, and we just laughed. We loved it. They came on transparencies back in the day, not digital files, and it was just so cool. So we put it on the bottles, and and we really opened the door for truly interesting art on craft beer. Now, you would think that's always a good thing, but of course there are people who live in fear and don't like change. Uh So there were other breweries out there who literally thought that we would bring the wrath of the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms uh, agencies onto the craft beer industry because we had this really cool art. Uh, long story short, you know, we won that battle and you look back on what craft beer is today and we can thank Ralph Steadman and our commitment to being interesting and on the edge. The edge for Flying Dog is different from Budweiser. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you have to keep that in mind. But our edge, people have come to expect, even the authorities who regulate labels say, well, that's just another Flying Dog. Label. Just, just sign <laughs> off on it. Just let it go. Don't even like, argue it or question it. It's just right. the Stedman thing. And know? these days, I mean, there's so many different kinds of craft beer. Some of it makes Flying Dog look tame, I would think. that There's some stuff out there that, I mean, there's well, just so many different varieties now. Great point. And there's the difference. So everything we did, I'd consider Ralph to be the, one of the true artists in the world. Yeah. And I say that because uh, he's going to be 80. We're having a big birthday party for him and outside of London at his local pub. It's That's Checkers with a Q-U, not Checkers like the hamburger place where everybody thought I was having his party. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> so many people thought that. So, But he says, when you're in a studio, he takes he has this little wrist action, he takes his fountain pen and throws a 
plat of Inca on the page. And when you ask Ralph for art, uh, you can't really tell him what to do. If you say, well, I'd like this thing with the purple head in three years, and he goes, well, you should have it drawn. You seem to know exactly what you want. Right. Ralph likes to be as surprised as we are by the end product. So mm -hmm. he's a true artist in terms of discovering where the eyeball is and the leg and all that sort of stuff. He doesn't do like a sketch. Well, sometimes he will, you know, because yeah. we like characters as opposed mm -hmm. to scenery. So sometimes, you know, if we say, you know, we want this double dog, two-headed thing. He'll do a little sketch, you know, but then the actual art will be just this splatter, you know, crazy stuff. So we're very, very fortunate to have not only Ralph as a genius, but, you know, Ralph's personality. I mean, he hates bullies as much as we do. You know, it's just this, this perfect fit because Ralph is mm -hmm. not really uh, an artist for hire. He's only doing our labels and his books these days and a few minor projects. But my point is, if you look at some of these other labels out there, uh, I'm, I'm fairly critical of them because it's people just trying to like out, you know, like get somebody's attention. Out weird. I'm like, yeah. So you just yeah. want to say, I don't know if I can say this on the road, fuck or something, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. and put P H U C K. I'm like, well, what's the point of that? Right. I mean, uh -huh. raging bitch for us, people, you know, people look at that. But when you understand the story, we use El Diablo yeast. It's mm -hmm. a raging yeast that ferments 30% faster than you'd expect. And bitch is a dog and blah, blah, blah. I mean, right. There's some rationale behind it. Same and with mm -hmm. Pearl Necklace. Same with Pearl Necklace. Mm -hmm. Same with mm -hmm. all yeah. of our beers. You know, yeah. Doggy Style is the one, one off where the bartender from the pub in 1990 named it Doggy Style because he thought it was fun. It's a fun name. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's a little bit confusing because people think that doggy style is a style of beer, you know. So they always yeah. say, well, what is doggy style pale ale? You know? uh, but, but even that, it goes back to our roots. It's the only beer we've brewed continuously since 1990. So it, it has some value to the portfolio, you know. Right. And it's not just saying who we can shock, you know. Is that your flagship technically or is um, that Raging Bitch, I guess? Uh, well, it's the only beer we've brewed consecutively. Our best-selling beer is Raging Bitch. Gotcha. Uh, it became our number one best-selling beer from the month we released it, which was was January of 2010 to the present. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's delicious. It's delicious. Just despite <laughs> any legal battles that it went through, it's still selling the best. Well, that, yeah, you know, uh, 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 the, the Freedom of Expression Awards are in two weeks at the museum. We're not, we're not being recognized, but uh, that's near and dear to our heart also. Mm -hmm. So our belief in art on labels and so forth, yeah, we won. We filed suit against the state of Michigan. They lost. They committed a crime. They violated our First Amendment rights. They lost at the federal court of appeals level. And for the first time ever, we won in Colorado, but that was at the state level. For the first time ever, it set a precedent for all 50 states that these appointed bureaucrats who want to impose their subjective preferences on beer, wine, and whiskey can't do it. It's a crime. Mm -hmm. And they're certainly going to think twice now. So that's a huge win for Flying Dog yeah. and for anybody who cares about creative expression. Amen. I'm Amen to that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Free press is the last defense against tyranny. Yeah. You know that. I, 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 that's why I do what I do. <laughs> God bless your heart for doing that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and if you, I know you mentioned Flying Dog University. If you sort of want to talk t to us about what Flying Dog is up to right now, um, mm -hmm. I think you've done a major expansion in the past couple of years. Um, you do these great summer concert series. So, mm -hmm. so what's been exciting for you guys? Um, in you know just the past year or so. Yeah, Flying Dog University is a huge opportunity for us to um, kind of translate that same um, kind of leadership and commitment to education that we have with our, um, you know, with other Maryland breweries, uh, with our wholesalers, with our retailers, um, to the actual consumers themselves. Um, the same kind of movement you see with um, with food, you know, with the local war movement, we've seen it into craft beer, like um, we've seen it into wine, like I just want something that's more local. There's also, um, this commitment to like this kind of like, I call it like edutainment, 
you know, so you're, you're going out and you're learning, but it's, it's really fun and it's a date night. It's, right. um, you know, getting your girlfriends together. So, uh, you know, we, the kind of the next step to getting somebody um, here to the brewery and experiencing the freshest beer that you could possibly drink um, is learning about the process. So we have curriculum set up um, beer 101, 201, and 301 that kind of walks you from you could know nothing about craft beer and come in, come in and kind of get an idea of the brewing process, kind of the, the four ingredients, a very basic level. As one of the things that you that you do see um, is that craft beer has become a little intimidating. Whereas it used huh. to be only wine, you would mm-hmm. go, "Oh, this is a pretty label, and I like red, so I'll grab this mm-hmm. one." You know, with um, you have more and more retailers, like there's just a wall of beer, and you're you're going to a party, and you're like, "I don't know what to grab." Right. You know, so we want to take away that intimidation factor when it comes to our education, but then we also want to give people the opportunity to really dive in and and figure out kind of what really interest them so you know as we progressed through that core curriculum we got a little bit more into like in-depth brewing processes um, sensory analysis um, food and beer pairings obviously stuff I speak to for the next 90 minutes Um, but then the really cool opportunity that we have with Flying Oak University is to showcase our partners that we work with Um, Jim alluded to some of them earlier but um, we like to partner and work with organizations who are like-minded, kind of view their craft as an art form like we do. Um, So we have, um, we just did an elective on um, beer and charcuterie. So we went into, um, it's a company called Meat Crafters. They're based down um, in PG County, but, you know, kind of drawing parallels to our process, to like their process and getting into, you know, how do you make these aged meats and casings of sausages and, you know, just kind of showcasing the people who we um, want, who we want to be working with and are kind of establishing relationships with and then having everybody learn at the same time. So it's, it, it's a lot of fun. We've, um, it's an ever-growing program. We have um, every uh, first Sunday of the month, we have Beer Geek Tours. So our typical tour is between 30, 45 minutes. Could do great overview of the process. Um, it dumps you out in the tasting room and you have beers. So like, what better process than that? Right. But then we also, um, you know, we take about two hours in the back with the Beer Geek Tour to really kind of dig into um, all of the kind of interesting intricacies of what we do so it, it's, it's for really... like the super nerd mm-hmm. that really wants exactly to yeah yeah, yeah. And how do pe- if people are interested in the classes um like how often do you run them how do you sign up and um find out university.com okay like shameless uh url plug right there <laughs> uh, but is, is the best resource we kind of keep a running schedule of our core curriculum okay um and then the electives just kind of come up as we're able to scheduling them uh or to schedule them so that's great. Yeah. Um, and do you guys, I know you're celebrating 25 years. Do you have any kind of events or releases that you're coming out with to coincide with it? Or We um, came out with um, a beer, Tropical Bitch, which is a spin on um, our uh, Raging Bitch Belgian style IPA. We kind of, we took a look at the flavor profiles that you get um, from Raging Bitch and you get these beautiful kind of tropical fruit notes from that El Diablo Belgian yeast. Mm-hmm. So we um, kind of pulled out the pieces that we really love, um, and Tropical Bitch includes uh, pineapple, mango, and passion fruit. So that was released um, in February. It should be still on shelves um, through the end of this month. And then, yeah, we'll just be kind of doing um, fun stuff along the year to kind of just remind people of, you know, the fact that we're 25. We can, 
like I said earlier, we can run a car. <laughs> we will be, um, Jim and I are both working uh, closely together. We're taking the um, damages that we were awarded from um, our lawsuit against the uh, Michigan Liquor Control Commission, and we're establishing a First Amendment society where we, it's a nonprofit and we're going to work to advocate um, on behalf of um, all of our First Amendment rights that are kind of slowly being threatened um, nowadays. So we are going to um, have activations like a band book club, you know, potentially start a, a scholarship fund um, uh, for journalists. Um, so that's awesome. Some, yeah. That's really, Aaron really is cool. the executive director. I'm, <laughs> I'm really not involved. I signed the check over to her. Uh, but, um, but, you know, it's pretty interesting though when you look at Twitter and Facebook and how mm -hmm. does freedom of speech apply. And, right. uh, and most people don't even understand that freedom of speech or First Amendment can only be violated by the government, like they claim somebody violated your First Amendment. So it's just interesting stuff, that, yeah. mm -hmm. but really with a serious purpose, and that is to appreciate that all of our rights, including the First Amendment, are being eroded daily. Well, uh, and nowadays when so much stuff is controlled by like these huge social media networks, it's like it's like Facebook has the power to really say what's approved and what's mm -hmm. not approved, yeah, and yeah. That's, that's kind of nuts. Mm -hmm. um, and even from a journalist standpoint, like we'll put out articles, and if it's not you know, within their algorithm, then people don't get to see it. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. that doesn't seem right. Yeah. Um, anyway, so let me know about that, because I'd yeah. be interested in that on a personal, <laughs> yeah. on a personal level, too. Um, and I know you guys always do really fun events, and obviously um, Monday is going to be Orioles opening day. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk a little bit about what you guys have planned for that, that's it's my favorite day of the year. So... Yeah. I always see you on opening yeah. day. Yeah, you're not, and I love that. Yeah, no, it's it's a holiday, and it's I think it's kind of an unspoken holiday for a lot of people in Baltimore. Um, mm -hmm. And I think what's really cool is how Flying Dog and other local breweries have had such a big presence in the last few years at Camden Yards. Mm -hmm. um, and. So just talk about what you have planned for opening day and then maybe throughout the year a little bit. Yeah, um, our relationship with the Orioles, um, we kind of we kind of harp on this act of having true partnerships um, with the people that we're working with. It, you know, for being you know, a major league organization, it's a true partnership with them, which is really, really cool. We were the first brewery to have um, cask beer that's in awesome. a major league stadium. So I, this I remember is, that the big hammer and the big yeah, ceremony uh -huh. was so fun. <laughs> so um, our Frickin' Friday program will be returning um, this year to Camden Yards. Um, specific to opening day, we are going to have um, a party at the Hilton. Okay. Um, outside? Mm -hmm. okay. Outside. Um, Cornhole, we'll have a, a DJ. We'll have um, our Bloodline, Blood Orange Ale, which... Um, oh, my favorite. So I, well, and I kind of just like... Come on, Orioles. Can we just say it's the official beer? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's let's, an orange. It's let's a blood just say orange it. ale. Yeah. Um, so we'll have that along with our uh, our numero uno agave cerveza. And then um, at the roof deck will be the um, annual premiere of Dead Rise, our Old Bay Summer oh, Ale. Nice. So the first time you can get it. Um, on draft will be at Camden That's Yards. That's like the first sign that warmer temperatures are, mm -hmm. are coming around mm -hmm. the way when you see that. It was interesting too because people were all in a tizzy when they heard Natty Bow might not be served inside the park this year. Mm -hmm. And I just, I found it really <laughs> silly in a lot of ways because um, the, Delaware North and, and the Orioles have made such a commitment to working with like you guys and heavy seas and union and these places that are actually brewing in Maryland. Mm -hmm. And if I'm in there and I'm going to pay eight whatever for a beer, I'm going to probably go with like a nice flying dog beer over Natty Bow anyway. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just my personal thing. So I didn't, I mean, obviously Natty Bow is an iconic Baltimore beer, but it seems like to me 
they've made a commitment to local breweries, and that's what people should be concentrating on rather than, you know, a top. That's what the consumers want. I mean, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're going with the trends. So, right. I mean, to some extent, what they sell, what they serve will sell, but consumers, uh, not just here in Maryland, but uh, in everywhere, in, in, in cities across America, yeah. are looking as, at craft beer as. Uh, an expected offering yeah. at these venues. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it AT&T Park in San Francisco was like the, did, also had Cascales or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they started, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they I think they started a year after um, we did at Camden Yards. After but, we did, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. just the after. after. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and <laughs> All I'm, about the shameless plugs. <laughs> I'm such a whore. <laughs> was that after we did? After uh, yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, about a year. <laughs> you know, 365 days. Yeah, <laughs> approximately. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have um, this planned out or anything, but one of my favorite things that Flying Dog does is your summer concert series uh-huh. every summer. Um, you've been doing it for, what, a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so do, do you know, like, who's playing this summer yet or when it starts or we any of that? We do. Um, our first two shows, we will have um, The Violent Femmes. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Yeah. That'll be um, June 25th, the last Saturday um, of June. Marking and then my calendar. We also have um, Galactic coming out nice. on um, Saturday, July 30th. Wow. So, that's, yeah. Those are some good gets. Like, uh-huh. seriously, mm-hmm. that's impressive. It, it was really, it was a really amazing dynamic when we started these shows. Of Montreal was one of our first. And, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with uh, such an epic band like that, they're like, yeah, we can come play your guys and then like they get here and you know like Kevin Barnes is just sitting in the tasting room like drinking a raging bitch and he's just like this is awesome (laughs) this is very surreal right now yeah and it was it was almost kind of like guys trust us like it'll be amazing and then once you come we had a bunch of all actually back last year um and it's just like once the bands get here they absolutely love it and it's it's a cool little break for them because it's not a traditional venue Mm -hmm. but um we really love that we're bringing kind of that caliber of bands um here to frederick do you think that's do are they familiar with flying dog before you approach them is it a testament to you guys or is it just kind of like a testament to them trusting you guys or Uh, a little bit of both yeah Yeah. i mean we have um we've had uh, done a couple shows with jay roddy walson in the business you know they're they're Baltimore guys, so mm-hmm. they, of course, were familiar, you know, with the beer. So it, it's kind of, it's been across the board, but um, they have fun when they get here. Yeah. I can assure you of that. Well, it is, <laughs> it is kind of fun how it's a non-traditional show. I mean, you mm-hmm. don't feel like you're really, you're just right on site at the brewery, mm-hmm. and it just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it feels like a fun little feel. Yeah, party. they like it because it doesn't feel like a corporate gig. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Like, it's like fun, and uh, I think all the bands had been familiar with and fans of Flying Dog, Lucero, John Stevens. Mm. I mean, they were all like, uh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it's cool, you know, yeah. that's great. Yeah, and it, it's cool too to, when you get in working with artists, like they're, a lot of them are familiar with Ralph as well. Mm-hmm. So you have really fascinating conversations about, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, I think it was actually John Spencer who was talking about like, yeah, you know, some of like Stedman and Hunter's like earlier stuff really inspired yeah, me when right. I started writing and you're just like, Ah, like this is such a beautiful kind yeah. of. Uh, I mean, that's the fun part. I mean, you know, of course we pay so. them; they don't do it for free. But uh, right, I mean, we hang out. We we're, mm-hmm. John Stevens was here at like three in the morning. You know, we <laughs> sandwiches brought in. Oh, it was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are like cool guys, yeah. like really with it guys that are educated. They like to talk about the world and mm-hmm. art and music. It's fantastic. It's yeah. such a great fit for us. It is. A, that's a great fit. That's awesome. I keep, Violent Femmes. I'm still not over that. That's, that's <laughs> really yeah, me too. Is that the first one? Or is that mm-hmm. the first one. First one. Um, so, and I know you guys are doing a beer release party here in a couple days, or is it tomorrow? 
the uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so if you want to talk about maybe those two beers and maybe mm-hmm. we can try them and talk about them. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever For sure. makes sense. Um, yeah, let me, let me just grab it. So we'll, um, we'll actually start with the um, mint julep ale. This oh, is where my... and talk about the backstory of mint julep. Yeah, so we have um, a really cool um, series here at Flying Dog Cooper House Rarities where anybody on staff from uh, myself in marketing to accounting to our tour guide staff to um, people on the packaging line to the brewers themselves, anyone can um, pitch a beer concept for the next year's series. So we get together um, every summer um, atop a historic mountain overlook. Uh, it's almost like two-story to be true. I but, was like, um, wait, is this real? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's McCampbell State Park. It's, yeah. It overlooks wow. two states. For the, Hazy mist of the mountains. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. That sounds beautiful. It is. It was a little chilly last year. We actually started a fire in the stone fireplace. Like it it's ridiculous. <laughs> but um we so anybody can pitch a beer concept for consideration for the next year series. So Ooh. this past year we had um about ninety concepts that were kind of narrowed down um to the eight releases that we have this year. So um this mint jewel of ale came um from two of our sales managers who um, just love a good mint julep cocktail. So we want they wanted to see how that same kind of flavor profile could translate into a beer. Um, we obviously have a little history with the Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. That was we do. The, that was the first article that Ralph Steadman illustrated for Hunter in 1970. Wow. Warren Hinkle, the editor and publisher of Scanlon's Magazine. Uh, commissioned Hunter to do a story about behind the scenes of the Kentucky Derby. I That's like a very famous piece. It's a very famous yeah. piece, yes. Yeah. And uh, Hunter was a juvenile delinquent in Louisville and sort of sort of uh, still had some animosity because his rich friends would get off, you know, even though they committed crimes and he would, you know, do six months in juvie or something. In fact, he, <laughs> yeah. he left Louisville, joined the Air Force to avoid something or other. Uh, so anyhow, he was looking for an artist uh, with a serious kink in his brain. He told Warren, this is going to be a really twisted story. And Warren said, I have just the person for you. He's illustrating for Private Eye magazine in the UK. He'll be in the US. I'll hook you guys up. They did. And they, that was a partnership from 1970 until 2005. Wow. Mm-hmm. Till that, like, for till, life. Till the end of right. Hunter's days, yes. Yeah. So it's it smells really like there's, I mean, is there, like, liquor involved in it or uh no no actual liquor involved unless you decide to add it yourself which i highly <laughs> recommend oh really uh, yeah. the the realm of beer cocktail possibilities with this one is huge but yeah. um with this beer we um added actual mint leaves um and honeysuckle because we thought that kind of mimicked that um yeah, the, the bourbon flavor and then mm-hmm. um another and then different combinations of um things like chicory root you get a little kind of like that corniness to it mm-hmm. so really it was taking the aromas and flavors that you get out of the actual cocktail and then figuring out a way to incorporate them into the the beer itself. I think it's that honey that reminds me of bourbon. It must be mm-hmm. on the nose a little bit. And then yep. the mint is really nice kind of at, at the end. That's mm-hmm. a good way to describe it. I think yeah. Oh, thanks. Wow. That's mm-hmm. a big compliment coming from <laughs> Um, but I, this is like perfect springtime. I mean, horse racing. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, people will be drinking this at Preakness. That seems like a yeah. no-brainer for you mm-hmm. guys. Um, this is really good. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a lot of fun, and it's it's a great experiment in kind of your um, your own individual kind of sensory as to what you get um, and out of the beer and how it makes you feel. Like I kind of get this warming sensation. It's mm-hmm. an it's an approachable six percent ABV beer, but I kind of get that kind of warmth that you would get from a stronger kind of bourbon cocktail. It's so. like a good day drink. 
Mm-hmm. In situation, I think あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あ
um, this is as scientific as I will ever get. <laughs> I'm speaking. <laughs> uh, but uh, is is the hop variety itself? So oh, okay. again, it's getting back to um, that kind of educated consumer piece because you can actually, you know, if you open a beer with you know Jim or Brewmaster or Brewer right now, you know, they can pick out individual hop varieties. Um, just by the the aroma and the flavor, and this is just a cool way for consumers That's to kind of get into it and and really start to pick up on the nuances of these different hops. And I feel for an imperial IPA, um, it's it's kind of less intimidating because I feel like some imperial they're just so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, they're somewhere over the top. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the nine nine plus ten plus. But this is kind of a nice. I mean, eight's nothing to like sniff at, but it's it's a little less intimidating than. But it's interesting you mention that because the. Uh, the real art of craft beer is balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you probably know how to make alcohol. It's not that hard. Uh, but And you could th- throw lots of alpha acids for bitterness and all that sort of stuff. But the real challenge, you know, the, the, the more bitterness you put in there, the more alcohol you need to balance it off. So the real art with these beers is to, to have 8% alcohol, but still have the bitterness characteristics uh, and it be in balance. So, right. Yeah, it's it would be easier to do it. 10, 11% alcohol beer with 100 IBUs, but this is more of a challenge from the you know, technical standpoint of brewing. Yeah, no, and, that's yeah, and that same um, that same theory goes into anytime we use outside ingredients as well. Um, you know, we're we're coming into dead dry season, and you know that that recipe itself was over six months in the making in figuring out the the nuances of the spice blend itself, and then the the type of beer that we wanted to kind of accompany it. But it's all about balance. If you want to drink Old Bay, um, and I say this <laughs> as a male owner, fill up a glass of water and dump some Old Bay in it. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted we wanted to showcase those iconic flavors that everybody, you, you kind of get a sniff of it and you're like, all right, I need the sun on my back and crabs on the yeah. table. Right. But then also have it be balanced with this beautiful, like crisp, clean kind of citrus ale yeah. that um, that is a really nice kind of accompaniment to it. So that's I how love, we approach. I love Dead Rise. I know there's like yeah. some divisiveness in the world out there about it, but I think it's it's so well done. And I, I when I first heard about it, I was a little kind of skeptical, just because I mean it, that kind of thing could could be really gimmicky and just not good. Because um, you've seen that happen with other beers. But when I mm-hmm. first had it, I think it might have been at an Orioles game, or it was like some sort of perfect setting, and I was like, yep. This is mm-hmm. this is right. This yeah, is it. And, and I mean, we are we're, we're the, like the anti-gimmicky brewery. Yeah. So this and it was probably more like a year. You know, it takes a couple weeks to brew a batch of beer. So we spent about a year uh, testing this, developing it, and uh, it's it's a real art. I, the, right before we finalized the recipe, I was over at a local uh, coffee shop, and they had Old Bay bagels. Of course, we're really into Old Bay at that point. Like I, I can like You're recite like, the recipe. <laughs> you know, yeah. like microgram. Just <laughs> like, oh, great, an Old Bay bagel. And so I buy the bagel, and I couldn't taste the Old Bay. Mm-hmm. I licked the top of the bagel, and I sort of got the Old Bay. And it was, you know, it was disappointed because I was really into Old Bay. So I texted Matt Brophy, the brewmaster, that day and said, dial it up a little bit. Because you don't want it to be so subtle that you can't that pick you it up. It. Yeah. And you don't want it to just be like we just poured a bunch of Old Bay into it, right. which is challenge in itself so Mm -hmm. I think they really got the balance just right in that very narrow window in that very narrow window where it's just enough that even if you don't know Old Bay if I say Old Bay you get it and people who know Old Bay get it right away and then for the true like the master connoisseurs of Old Bay they still have the 
container of Old Bay on the bar. They'd ring the glass in it. Mm-hmm. They have cans of Old Bay on the bar, oh, and they yeah. shake it into <laughs> the beer. They do that at Riley's Oyster, <laughs> yeah. just uh-huh. off the top of my head. Um, well, it was funny. I remember being at Riley's, and I ordered a Dead Rise on Draft, and they were like, do you want an Old Bay Rim? And I was like, does anyone yeah. ever say no to that? Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I don't understand the so, question. Uh-huh. No, I think that's great. Yeah. That they do. So I'm saying yeah, our beer fine. is just perfect. It's perfect if you don't want to go to that extreme. Right. Uh, but it's also, it's, it holds great up really stuff. well with yeah. the ribbing the glass and even shaking some Old Bay into it. Yeah. It's a little foaminess, too. I agree. Like I said, it's it's getting me in the mood for summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Flying Dog should be the official intro, in, introducer of summer going forward. Yeah, yeah, bad beer of summer. That's the official the start of summer. That's I mean that's how I gauge when it's mm-hmm. <laughs> screw the weather. Yeah. Sometimes that doesn't make yeah, sense. Right? <laughs> um, well, those were kind of everything I wanted to go over today. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to talk about. You guys have coming up that's exciting or. If people want to find out more, you know, where can they sort of follow you? I know there's you're on like all of the social media, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah. Our social media is huge to kind of stay um, up to date with everything we have going on. But um, you know, we're in a beautiful little trifecta here in Frederick of kind of being equidistant to both Baltimore and DC. Mm-hmm. So the the amount, of, the sheer amount of um, you know events and kind of initiatives that we have going on between the two are are really amazing. So yeah, you guys are totally involved. But the most important thing to know is Erin is an Orioles fan, and mm-hmm. that is that yep. is something that I've always appreciated about yep. her. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. The thank you. really appreciate delicious. it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the second episode of the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. I'd like to thank Aaron and Jim again for being my guests. You can follow all things Flying Dog on their Twitter and Instagram accounts and also, of course, at flyingdogbrewery.com. And you can keep up with this podcast at Buzzed in More on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, check us out on SoundCloud and hopefully soon iTunes. Um, and please tune in next month because it's going to be May, which means we just have to talk about tequila and mezcal and all of that great stuff. So thanks so much for listening. Cheers.